So I have no idea how I'm going to do intros for the second season of Something Positive for Positive People. Uh, so this is kind of going to be just the starting point. I got a decent amount of time before I need to figure that out. It is today's July 5th, 2021, and this podcast will be uploaded like the second week of September of 2021. Um, that'll be when everybody hears it. I am so sorry that this is so far out. I didn't anticipate us having this interview, uh, after I finished all of the interviews for the first season of Something Positive for Positive People, but it was really, really important to me that we have this conversation, and I'm glad that your schedule opened up for us to meet up so soon. I have here with me Aaron Davidson, the author of Breakthrough, How to Break Through the Breakup. I always tongue-tie it and mix it up when I'm explaining to somebody that I read this book that they really need to get. How are you? Today. I'm excited to have this conversation. I am too. I'm excited for a lot of things. I'm excited for this conversation for sure. Um, I'm excited about the shift of the podcast being from uh, what it was primarily focused on STIs and sexual health and sex in general to being able to take a lot of the lessons that came along with those interviews and being able to apply them uh, to ourselves, to our relationships, to all other areas of our lives. And this is really exciting for me because I get to interview you, someone who isn't exclusively or, well, you're not exclusively tied to that uh, category. I did a little research on you and apparently you've written, um, I don't remember the name of it, uh, non-monogamy something. What was it? Yeah, driving in non-monogamy. All right. Now we're not talking about that today, but <laughs> just so that. Another day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but that could be perhaps another podcast episode, but. Uh, I read your book and I found it to be very interesting how we got here. So I'll just share that from my end and you just share with me what happened on your end. So we were introduced yeah. by Elle Stanger, a stripper writer on Instagram. Uh, I met her in San Diego when I was there for a friend's wedding and she showed me this book. She goes, oh, this book, while it's written primarily for women, it may be something that you may find to be um, useful or interesting. And I hadn't told her, but I had just, just, just broken up with uh, my then partner. And so uh, I kind of glanced over the book a little bit, didn't think anything else of it. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I think within a few days, I think you reached out to me and said that Elle said that uh, I'd be interested in a copy of the book. So you sent me one. I read it and I was very validated in a lot of uh, what I have seen in my interviews uh, with people about relationships, because um, even if we, you know, just touching on herpes, like there have been people who've gotten diagnosed, had a breakup and then had to go back out into the world of dating. And so there are, were a lot of lessons in here that can be applied to um, applied situationally, uh, especially for people who may be coming over into season two from season one of the podcast being uh, and, and there's parallels. One of those parallels is like sex education, right? We've been let down in the sense of it not including a lot of things that we don't learn until trial and error of adulthood, one of which being 
uh, have a support system or seeking support. Support period is completely omitted out of sex education. So what happens if you are diagnosed with an STI, you find yourself in an abusive relationship or you're struggling in your relationship with managing expectations or the relationship in general, we don't have the foundation that says, hey, it's okay to seek support. So one of the standout things from your book to me was how we have to get our support system rather than having already had it in place. So anyways, I'm getting way ahead of where I wanted to end that at, but this was how we got introduced. You sent me a copy of the book, I read it, and I was like, yes, I would like to bring you on. You're the first guest for uh, this season of Something Positive from Positive People. So what's your side of how this connection worked? Yeah, well, first of all, I am excited for you with your transition too with your podcast and I feel like it really mirrors what what I see like working as a sex therapist too where we often start off or what brings people in the door is really sex specific concerns but it's like not too long before we see how connected sex is to all these other areas of our lives and it's not too long before we start even going like a little bit deeper or we're talking about sex but then we're realizing oh actually this is really related to your family relationships or it's really related to how you show up at work and it just makes a lot of sense to me that that you're you're transitioning like that with things and so I'm so excited to be one of the first guests with that and kind of bridging those gaps too um and yeah it's so funny how the universe or whatever you want to call it like brings people together and um Elle running into you and the breakup stuff and it's just um yeah it's cool to talk to people who are like going through the stuff with the breakup at right at the time of, of reading it and um yeah I'm excited to see what parts resonated with you or what parts like didn't sit well and all of that and um the support system piece too I'm glad to hear that that stood out because yeah it's such an important part and especially with relationships when we go through a breakup it can be such a reorganization of oh this was one of my primary people and looking at okay how can we look at support as more broad than that too it's not just that one person right and when we look at going through a breakup and creating our support system for us as we're navigating the breakup it's like it's it's almost like you have to reach out to friends that should have been there the whole time but you kind of were so into your relationship that you may have lost what should have already been a foundation. I don't think that, and this was something that I caught from myself, prioritizing my relationship with this person came at the expense of my relationships with my friends who would be my support system. And it felt real icky to like reach out to them and be like, hey, I'm struggling, help me to four, five, six different people because I made the mistake of, I don't want to call it a mistake, but I wasn't necessarily doing a good job of managing my relationships as best they could be. So it was important to me that like that be something brought up here for even if people are in a relationship, don't anticipate breaking up, but to just kind of like give them a little poke to, hey, make sure you just manage or maintain your friendships, your identities away from your partner as well, because you truly don't know when you could be needing to seek support. Yeah, and managing relationships is a challenging thing. Like, we we only have so much capacity, and I think 
it could be the relationship you were in where maybe you put more of yourself into that relationship than your other friendships. But I also think it's an interesting time where a lot of people have gone through a breakup during the pandemic or like following the pandemic. And it's a time where circumstantially we've been less connected to each other. We've been like, if you were living with your partner, it's like you've spent so much time with them. And let's say now you're going through a breakup. It's like, Oh, reaching back out to your people and kind of re like getting back into that, ability to have your support network be bigger again or maybe even your priorities have shifted over the pandemic or relationships have shifted or people have moved away like there's been a lot of change and I think it's it's normal that we're we're, I know I find myself kind of coming out of this being like oh yeah what is it like to be seeing my friends more frequently again and not just on zoom or like doing those like late night have a glass of wine and like talk through things and like reconnect and so I feel like it's a transition time for a lot of us with our relationships in various ways Mm -hmm. uh yeah the pandemic did make relationships look different a lot of them were more challenging to hold on to or not because I know for me my friends and I we're activities people we go do things together in groups and that's how we open up, uh, get vulnerable, start talking about stuff. You can see it in the person's face, hear it in their tone. Yeah, man, when people say, for guys especially, and uh, this may be something that like creates a little bit of polarity because the book was written for women, right? But from a guy's perspective, I know that my friends and I, we always say, oh, how are you? Oh, I'm good, man, I'm good. And then we'll mention something that's going on. But when you're in person, and like you got to be around each other for a while you can kind of see hey man you sure you all right or go a little bit deeper into yeah. it so from a man's perspective like that's how i am able to tell you know pandemic aside like this is how i manage my relationships in person because there's just things that you can't pick up on over zoom like i've got this little box of just your head up i don't see that maybe your fingers are twitching or your legs shaking to identify that you're nervous you can really hide what's really going on with you and however you're accustomed to managing relationships Uh, really reading your people around you and being read by people around you, that may cause a little bit of uh, a a conflict with being able to identify how someone is. Totally. And it's, it's tiring too, to just do Zoom calls. Like it's very much like, just like a lot of like, okay, got to listen in on everything that you're doing. And if, if we do Zoom calls, like I do for work, it's like you get saturated with that and you miss out on just that quality time of just like, yeah, doing an activity together, or just like sitting together. And um, yeah, there's so much you can pick up on when you're in person that you can't. And so it's, it's nice to hopefully have that back on the horizon for most of us. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Another thing that stood out to me about the book and then like, I'm, I want to make this not about my book review or what I got out of it. Cause I'm, I'm just a dude who read a book that was written for women. So <laughs> these are just things that I've gotten out of it. Grief and in grieving relationships, something really struck with me or uh, something really stuck with me out of this in that we're not necessarily grieving the loss of the other person, more so our identities as who we are 
in association with that other person. So like I'm so-and-so's partner or so-and-so is my partner. And so the grief process is having to let go of the fact that we'd always go get Mexican food together. Uh, we go to bed together, wake up together. I come home, this person's there. There are so many areas of life that are often interconnected with uh not just this person, but like who we are in association with that person. Can you kind of speak to that? Yeah, well, I feel like you spoke so well to just the, the parts of being in the relationship. Yeah, we're, we're grieving that. We're grieving that we don't get to see them anymore, but we're also grieving like the future that we'd imagined with them in so many different ways. And I know for myself, that brought me a lot of security. And I, I think it's just even knowing oh, well, you're in the relationship, maybe you imagine this is who I'm going to spend the like next several years with, or we're going to live in this place, and we're gonna, our friend group looks like this. And to have that kind of thrown up and messed around and be different is, is really hard. And it's, it's very, a very untethered feeling. Like, oh, I used to have this idea of how my day-to-day looked, and now it's completely different. And it, it brings up all those grief feelings, the, the anger, the de- denial, the sadness, the um, ruminating, all of it. When we talk about breakups, right? I, I didn't want to ask this question, but it's coming. Uh, even in <laughs> dating, <laughs> like dating, um, it may not be a relationship breakup where we have a title of boyfriend, girlfriend, but we live in a world where casual dating, hookup culture, whatever, Losing your friend with benefits can be a breakup. Uh, Losing a friend can be a breakup. But regardless of how these relationships end, do you think that there's any, um, I I guess, what would be like the, the commonalities of losing a partner that you've seen this future with for years on end that you thought you were both on the same page about and even just like a, a hookup, a casual hookup? Uh, losing that person for whatever reason it may be, does the grieving process look similar or different? Yeah, I'm a big believer that it's all the same process. Like, it's all grief. All these different losses that we experience is all grief. Just maybe the length of time that we feel those feelings varies or the intensity of how we feel them varies. Um, And again, it's always worth saying that, like, grief isn't linear, so it's not that we hit these certain steps and we we like beat the level and we're done with our grief. Like it'll show up in all these different ways again and again. And I, I like to think of it, I think I wrote about it in this book, but I, I can't quite remember, but I like to think of grief as, as like luggage or like bags that we carry. And so at the beginning, it might be this really heavy, huge hockey bag full of concrete that we have to drag and we can't really get through our day with. And over time it just changes shape. So I think sometimes it doesn't ever go away. And that's okay, but it might turn into a backpack that we can walk with. Or eventually, maybe it's just a little kind of money purse that we carry. And we don't ever very often get impeded with it in our day, but we are reminded that it's there. Time, time, like at different times where maybe you walk by a store that you used to go with with a friend or with an ex. And you're like, have that little pang of like, oh, I wish I could go there with them again. And so I think it's the same process with and I think that that's why I really wanted to highlight that breakups are grief, because I think even then we tend to deny that it's not, that, oh, they didn't die, they're still alive, so how could you be grieving? But 
it's just the human process we go through. And sometimes it's even more confusing when it is something that we think um, other people might, might not view as worthy of grief. So if it is was a hookup and we feel it really deeply and painfully, then we might feel the shame of, oh, well, it was just a hookup. Why am I still bothered by this? And so the more we can make space that it makes sense that we care about things and when we lose those things that we have hard reactions to that and the more that we can not shame ourselves for that I think the the more that we we take the suffering component out of it because all the feelings are okay and they make sense yeah and what you just said uh something that sparked within me is that it's not necessarily about the length of time you're with a person or it could be um but more so like I think about the quality of the interactions or the experiences that you've had with one another. You can be with someone for eight years, 10 years, and not really know who they are. You can be with someone eight months, two years, and this could be, you know, you know that person inside and out. Um, I'm wondering here if, uh, because what, oh man, I lost it trying to talk too much. Uh, <laughs> well, when you were talking, you brought up something for me. So maybe it'll yeah. bring up what you were saying. <laughs> but what you were saying about the like kind of way that you know somebody can change how you experience the loss. Like I was just thinking of, you could have a hookup or you could have a one night stand where it like awakens something in you where it's like, oh yeah, this is who I am. Or I really want more of that in my life. Like I didn't realize how alive I felt with this kind of like whether it's sex or whether it's the conversation that you had and then to not have that that could be really hard where it's like oh but I want to be that person and now I I don't know how to access that anymore good save I remember now that was perfect time (laughs) Uh, but the avoidance of like oh well it wasn't even that long so I shouldn't be worried about it or even as a friend who's being reached out to uh, as support for someone who's navigating a breakup yeah. to dismiss the experience like, well, you were only together for a few months. Like, why are you, why is it so hard on you? Or like telling people to get over it. You know, I feel like these are really terrible things to say to someone because in a way it invalidates their experience and their feelings about the experiences. A hundred percent. And the more that we, I see this with myself, I see this with my clients the more that we do that to ourselves where we're like, oh, we shouldn't feel this way or like we kind of dismiss it. It's it's this weird thing where the more we try to push it away or ignore it, the longer it stays and the more intensely we feel it. It's almost like the slower we go with our feelings or the more we accept that it's okay for them to be there, the more space we give them, the shorter they stay in a weird way. Yeah. Um, for me and my personal experience, uh, reading that grief isn't linear, but whenever the feelings come up or a thing may spark uh, some sort of emotion in you, it's important to be able to give it space. Fortunately for me, I had opportunities to give it space uh, if there was downtime where I'd catch myself trying to distract myself with some form of work or just uh, doing some other activity. When it comes, it's like it has to be experienced. And I think some of the examples that you used in the book were like to uh, call the other person or text the other person or something like that. You know, when the urges come up, think about what your intention is. So for me, I had this intention of... um, 
needing to be heard because a lot of the dialogue was not in person. So it was like, okay, I need to be across from you and say and express how I'm feeling. And when we were able to get together and have that, not only did I feel better, but also like she was able to communicate to me. I didn't know that you felt this way because there was no, I guess the nonverbals just weren't there to have that other person have experienced that I was angry or that I was really passionate about what it was that I was communicating. So that was a good experience that I had with that because had it not been for the book, I'd have just been like, oh, let's let's push this down. Like I'm going to avoid what's coming up for me and I'm not going to give myself what I need right now. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious for you, how could you kind of tell the difference between this is something that I still need to talk about with this other person um, versus these are feelings coming up that I want to process with myself. Like, how did you kind of I will say dis- that distinguish that? My, uh, one of the things that I live by is to live a life with no regrets in a way that when I look back on a situation, I never want to be able to say, why didn't I do blank? As in, why did I take no action? Taking no action to me and having looked back on a situation where I could have taken some kind of action, that to me is a regret. So for me, this was something that you know I was challenged with. It was like, okay, well, I'm going to take this action. I'd much rather look back and say, huh, why'd I do it this way instead of that way? over why did I take no action at all? So for me, that was what came up. It was a matter of, okay, I had been in therapy and my therapist was like, you need to let people know how you feel because that's been a real challenge for me. I can sit here and tell you, hey, I'm angry at you when you do this thing. It makes me feel this way and I'm angry. And people like won't hear that. But if I'm like fuming, you can see it in my face and like, I'm not flipping a desk or anything like that, but there's just a way that it comes off uh, non-verbally when people are able to pick up on it or when your tone even changes. So I felt a need to be in a space to where that all could be experienced and communicated because I needed to give this to the other person without fear of being too intense or anything like that. It's like this needs to be expressed directly at uh, the source of or the cause of, um, of, of what was coming up for me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's like that needing to have your experience heard by that other person so that you weren't kind of going on into the future, carrying that and thinking, well, what if I had said that, like how, how would they have taken that? And how would that have played out? Like, it's almost like, I imagine maybe you felt a bit lighter after being able to do that for yourself. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's, there's something there in the sense of just communicating how you feel, like having a safe space to express, you know, whatever intense emotion it is that's running through you and share the experience like that's healing. Yeah. And that reminds me of I'm curious to hear your thoughts about um, I don't know if you remember this part of the book, but it's one of the parts that people have been kind of bringing up and talking about with me. And it's this idea of closure. And I feel like we get this certain idea of what closure is like, quote unquote, supposed to look like with relationships. And I think 
lot of times that's out of our control, but I think that what your example is bringing up so wonderfully is what we can control is our own closure of being complete with what we share about our experiences and our feelings and the things that we need to say, not because we need it to create a particular outcome because that's out of our hands, but the things that we need to say for ourselves. And so I'm curious, what do you, what do you think about closure? How do you feel about it? All right. I think this is, this is a big (laughs) one. This is a real big one for me because I've for so long been told that closure looks like no more communication with the other person altogether. And that's just never sat well with me because I'm welcoming people in my life that I want to stay, especially if there's mutual investments in one another energetically or just with time and resources, whatever. The people that I'm choosing to be around now, I am invested in. So when I hear you need to break up with this person, never talk to them again, leave them alone, you know, it's like, I don't know how to articulate to other people like hey that's not actually what I want to do that's not what I need there may need to be some boundaries in place around our relationship so that I don't feel this way again based on the behaviors of the other person that I'm seeing and in dating or situations where people aren't in a committed monogamous relationship exclusively with one another that tends to be what the narrative is. So for me, as someone who's navigating non-monogamy, that relationship just looks a lot different uh, than, all right, I'm going to block you, delete you from everything. It's just more of like, hey, this relationship has a transition. We're not suitable as partners at this level at this time. So closure was more of a revisiting of expectations than anything else and I feel like that's kind of where that's probably where I'm at now is trying to figure it out because I know how I know it's best for me to move forward now um, with this particular person but I don't know that my internal belief systems versus my lived experiences are ever going to be able to agree. That's just going to consistently be this headbutting of, all right, well, do we leave each other alone? Do we stop having sex with each other? Do we get in a relationship? Like what's happening? And then there's there's still the possibility of getting back together. And I think that that's something that like friends and anyone who's outside of the relationship will not be able to comprehend or doesn't want to comprehend is that, well, y'all broke up, so you don't need to be together. Move on. It's like, ah, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And oftentimes it's because the person who's going through the breakup doesn't necessarily feel a need to or know how to communicate the complications to people around them. It's just really draining to go through all of that. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's like closure in a way can be transitioning roles and boundaries. So now you used to be on like maybe this inner circle of my life and now we're going to shift you to a slightly like farther away circle. We're not booting you out of my orbit, <laughs> but we're just shifting you out and my boundaries with you are being changed as well. So they're different. So they might be, might be like, oh, we don't see each other every day now. We see each other every now and again. Or maybe we don't have sex now and we used to. Or maybe we have our hookups look different than they used to. And, like, closure, yeah, in the in the narrative of 
the world that we live in is usually like, how can we wrap this up in a neat bow and end this relationship? But it doesn't need to be a full end sometimes. It just needs to be a, a change. Yeah. And I think that a lot of that really comes from not necessarily knowing how to communicate the relationship dynamic or change to other people. So perhaps you act like you're still together uh, around certain people or you act like you've broken up or you just don't share with friends. Therefore, like putting another barrier between you and your support system by having to be secretive about your relationship in a way. I kind of, uh, I looking back, like in college, I kind of had something like this because I was on and off with someone a lot. So being on and off with someone, going through a breakup, seeking support, going through that breakup again with the same person and going back to the same people who've been giving you support for, how, what's a healthy way of navigating something like that when you're going back and forth with someone and now you also are uh, creating this fatigue uh, with your support system to where they're like, I don't want to hear about this anymore. Like you, you've lost me. Yeah. And it's this idea too, of being mindful of, okay, is this someone I still want to have in my life? Because there's a lot about relationships that you want to keep on your, like you want to protect the other person. You want to keep a lot of the things that frustrate you about them. Like, and it's, it's tricky because if there's an abusive dynamic, you really want to be able to talk about with that with people so that you can start to like have people see that and get support for that. And I know that that gets murkier, but in in another sense, like if you're in a relationship where you don't all you don't always want to tell the people in your life all of their like darkest, dirtiest secrets or the worst things about them because that's just natural. Like the friends in your life are going to want to protect you, and so. It's, it's tricky. I think that's where therapy is really helpful because you don't have to worry about that, about um, the bias there. But, but yeah, when people don't necessarily understand the complexities of the relationship, that can get really challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something that came up for me um, was, this is just like a full-on book review. I'm trying so hard not to talk about myself and my experience with this, <laughs> but it was so... The timing of it and the way that it all worked out, the way that it aligned itself, like this was something that really it it connected with me. So as I was going through um, and listening, as I was going through and like having these experiences as I'm reading, as I'm applying it to myself, it also made me wonder, like, how have I been towards people going through breakups how have I been showing up for them? Um, how can we best do that if we're looking at this like, yes, we're going through the breakup, but if I'm someone who you know wants to be supportive to someone else who's going through a breakup, what are some of the best things for me to do in order to help them besides give them their own copy of uh, how to break through the breakup? <laughs> break through the breakup, yeah. And so that's something that you were wondering for yourself. Like, I'm interested, was there anything that really stood out to you of like, oh, I should do more of this or my tendency is to to do this when you're supporting a friend? What I came up with was that a lot of my friends are monogamous. I'm the only one in my friend circle who's non-monogamous. So 
having to explain that kind of a relationship dynamic to them and them like maybe not all the way understanding it like they accept it but them understanding it is a completely different thing so what I came up with was okay what do they understand they understand being disrespected in the relationship so perhaps setting that as like the baseline with them of hey if I need support about my relationship or I come to you with the situation the big question here should be are is Courtney being disrespected yes or no if Courtney is being disrespected then there's something there and we speak to the disrespect we don't necessarily speak to the aspects that people don't understand so when if we talk about um I guess I don't really have any like concrete examples of what disrespect would be in the relationship that come to mind without me having to stall and take breaks and think about one to create. Uh, when yeah, talk- but like emotionally manipulative or like you can tell that they're go. being like gaslit or something like that. Like if you could really see some red flags, it's a different thing that if you just think, oh, maybe they're not the best fit together, but it's not like huge it might just be not the right fit for you. It's like, we don't necessarily know on the outside what actually works for that person in their relationships. Yes, yes. Uh, That's a really good, to me, that's a really good way of having everyone speak the same language. We speak respect. So among my friends, if I'm coming to them for any sort of relationship advice or if I'm frequently coming to them about different problems, is there a theme of, Courtney being disrespected and then it's like hey this is this is what you got to do like you came to me and said this is how you want me to hold you accountable in your relationships I am holding you to that I feel like that's a really healthy way of going about establishing like a boundary or uh, expectations with your support system at least that's what works for me as a man I don't know if like women do the same thing or what yeah, I think something that I find really helpful is just being like, what do you need from me right now? Do you want me to just listen to you events? Do you want me to help you do something practical? Do you want me to help you like pack up your apartment? Um, do you want advice? Like, what? How can I be helpful? Because I think that like putting it back on the person. Because what I might, what might be my default, which might be to be like, okay, you got to do this and this and this and this, and then we're gonna, we're gonna go. I'm gonna. Um, we're going to delete them off Facebook or whatever it is. It might not actually be what they need. And sometimes we just need to vent or whatever. So kind of throwing it back to the other person, I find is something, um, I try to remember. I don't always do it, but, um, yeah. What do you need from me? What if we don't know what we need? Yeah. Then as the friend, then like being a friend for someone who doesn't know what they need or for ourselves when we don't know what we need. Yeah. If we don't know what we need as the person who, is being asked, well, what do you need right now? Do you want to vent? Do you want this, that, that? Like, do we just blah? Or is that when we call a therapist? Like what? We're going to our friends because we know we need something that they can give us. Or maybe they can't. So how do we, not knowing what we need, figure out what it is that we need? Yeah, I think that's a really common reaction too because there's so much that's going on when you're going through a breakup and so I feel like permission to just not know just mm-hmm. maybe you just want to be around people and that's that's cool that yeah. makes sense and this would be one of those situations where people are like what's wrong and you're like nothing 
<laughs> right? <laughs> and it's just yeah. because you don't know. Sometimes you don't know what you need until you come across it too, right? So perhaps it could just look like making space for stillness, for silence in order for what you need to come up because that was kind of what it was for me. I practice yoga, I'll meditate, and it's often in those moments of stillness or even taking a shower. Like when I take a shower, I have the most enlightening moments of my life. And I think all these great quotes and I have these ideas for businesses and stuff. And then by the time I dry off, I'm like, oh, what was that? Oh man, what was that one song with? And that's where my head will go. Uh, but no, just, and I, I, I want to make that known too that sometimes it is okay to just not know what you want or what you need um but to just make that time make that space for yourself if you know you need something feel in your body what it is or where it is that you may need it or it may i don't want to jump to eat but you may be hungry or maybe you need to drink some water or maybe you need some sunlight you may need some movement you may just need to sit around people and just be in the presence of others right yeah, just checking back in. I feel like, like you're saying, when you slow down, that can often be where that will really come up and present itself. And it, it might be something really simple. And we don't need to figure it all out in that moment either. You just got to start with, okay, in this exact moment, what's something that might make things just a little bit better? Is it taking something off of your to-do list? Is it doing nothing? Is it, like you said, getting a glass of water? It doesn't have to be really complicated. Uh, and Aaron, I sent you a bunch of voice notes and messages of uh, notes of what I wanted to talk about. Do you, was there anything in that that stood out? Because I know for me, it was mainly the grief, the support. Uh, and then I have one more thing. Well, I already touched on that with the uh, difference in relationship styles and being able to seek support in a certain way. But was there anything that stood out to you that you wanted to make sure we touched on based on the notes that I shared with you? Well, I was excited to see, yeah, you kind of go through that process of sending me different things. And it, it was cool. It was like you were in real time, like having a bit of a book club or something with me. It was awesome. <laughs> um, I was really keen to talk about when you sent me the, sh the screenshot of the page of the book about, because um, it was one of my favorite chapters to write about the naming the patterns. And so like the looking at your the family history and like how that impacts how we look for relationships and partners and kind of making those connections. So I was really keen to hear if anything else came of that for you. <laughs> oh, all right. I hope that nobody that I'm like intimate with listens to this, but my pattern <laughs> has always tended to be in a way women who uh, obviously somehow remind me of like my mom. My mom was very emotionally draining to me as a child. And I feel like I've developed this like ongoing, infinite capacity to emotionally give. So I seek and tend to give emotionally to women who absolutely take advantage of it or take it. Um, not necessarily anyone who reciprocates. So like my mom wasn't really good at reciprocating that. If I needed something emotionally, she wasn't able to provide it back. So this kind of made me struggle with communicating what I need. So whenever it is that I do communicate at an emotional level, 
I don't expect for it to be received well. And I think that some things that have been said to me as an adult are like, oh, you can be too much or intense. And if my mom had language, I think that probably would have been what she used. But if anyone needs to emotionally dump or offload on Courtney, Courtney's always here for that and good about that. But it's kind of trained me to not feel safe opening up emotionally to partners. making those connections it's one of the like wildest things that I've learned from my own healing from my breakup and going to therapy and training as a therapist is this idea that we partner with our unfinished business and so on like a subconscious level there's something that goes on where we get attracted or drawn to the people that bring up stuff in us like I think that they say we're drawn to someone who reminds us enough of our caregiver experiences to bring that up for us on some level in our brain, but they're different enough that a part of us feels like we're going to create a different outcome. And to see that play out and to look in your past and see how it plays out, it's really mind-blowing. But also, I find it was really empowering to be able to name that because then you can start to be like, okay, I'm starting to know what these flags are to look for this. Okay, so that's the person who's going to not leave space for my emotions. Or um, for me, it was often people who... I think it's a, it's a different flavor of the same thing that you're describing, like someone who is not emotionally available. available. And so finding those people and there's some part of your brain that goes, oh, well, this one's going to be different because they're a therapist <laughs> or something, but they're still emotionally unavailable. So your brain plays all these tricks on you, but to start to go, okay, I need to specifically look for the person who is emotionally intelligent, who leaves space for me, who makes me feel like I'm not too much, but like just enough and all of that and so 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 just our brains are the weirdest things (laughs) yeah uh speaking of emotional availability unavailability like uh do you think that we in our minds can create a scenario where uh yes we're looking for familiarity in our relationships we're looking for that uh unfinished business it was what you said i want to make sure that i use the language that you use um we're seeking that unfinished business in our partners in hopes of finishing that business to some extent right so what how do i want to say this because if we're making the attempt to finish the job uh (laughs) Sounds so violent. Right? <laughs> that was the best I could think of, too. But let's say, you know, what? I guess what does it look like to finish the job would be a really good question to ask. And what comes to mind for me, you know, processing this for the first time, if I'm finishing the job, it kind of looks like me. It looks like almost going to the other extreme where okay my part my mom my partner emotionally offload on me but i can't on them so i should probably seek someone that allows for me to just emotionally offload on them and then find middle ground right (laughs) is that is that the practical thing do we want to go so far in the other direction away from what it is that we have become familiar with in a way, in a way, it's, it's, yeah, it's almost like learning what 
your tendency is, like you're saying, and kind of knowing, okay, I'm going to be attracted to this kind of person. I'm going to be attracted to the person who shows up and is really emotional or, um, in my case, someone who's like just available enough, but they just pull away enough. So knowing, okay, when they don't text me back for days, that's a sign. Or knowing that when they say something that is like not showing up fully or just starting to know, you'll start to pick up on these clues and knowing, okay, this is a sign that I've been down this road before, but now I'm going to start to look for, like, if those were the red flags. I think I've heard someone use the term like relationship green flags. So what are the signs that this might actually be a really good fit for me? So they, they do, they have healthy boundaries. They do like open up parts of themselves. They do ask me questions. They are interested in my life and starting to go, you might not feel that same like pull of like love at first sight or like passion that you might with the people that you tend to default to, but it's learning, oh, I'm going to give this person a chance. I'm going to see if attraction will build here because I'm kind of shifting the dial back. I might've been overly in this camp and I'm going to try to move it and see if I can also build something healthier here with this person. Yeah. And in my experience, I found emotionally unavailable women to be safe with that because it's like, all right, well, I can, you know, safely dump when needed, as needed in the ways that I feel safe in doing so. Like I can just give knowing and it's not even an expectation. It's like I know that I don't expect anything in return. So I am going to be able to just give, 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 give in this safe space to someone who's emotionally unavailable because perhaps they're not looking to take anything from me. So like, it's safe for me to, uh, I don't have like a beautiful analogy here, but just think about the flow, nope. No, not even going to try. I'm going to I'm working on my analogies here and not overdoing it or reaching too far. (laughs) But it's like you're it's safe because it's familiar. Like, you know how that story ends. It's like watching the scary movie that you know how how it ends. It's not as scary as watching a different movie that might actually have a better ending. I'm doing an analogy. (laughs) That was better than what I was going to come up with. I was going to try and like use water and an ocean of like this oh this infinite stream of water just you wanted to go in this place that is a void and it just flows there yeah that wasn't gonna work out uh <laughs> yeah you'll, you'll you'll never hear from me to not do the analogy i'm always like pro analogy my editor was like can we like cut out like eight of these analogies? i'm like no more of them yeah. but yeah yeah it's like the devil you know versus and it's it's interesting to hear you use the word safe because it totally does feel safe like it even though you know it's not what's the best for you or what maybe you truly want. It's, it's low risk because you know, what's going to happen. You know, it's going to not work out in the end. Mm-hmm. It's less vulnerable. Yeah. All right. So getting back out there when the, the metaphor you used was about the luggage getting a little bit easier to carry. So someone's <laughs> got like the biggest size U-Haul you can have possible with baggage, luggage and everything. And then over time, it becomes a smaller U-Haul, maybe a storage unit, maybe a couple of duffel bags, maybe one luggage, maybe a backpack, knapsack, lunch bag size, purse, whatever it becomes over time. You don't have to be healed in order to move on. And I found this to be really important 
because we are taught you need to do the work first. You need to be the person you want to be in order to attract your partner. And I'll be honest, I've been one of the people who that messaging has sort of like um, brainwashed me into thinking I can't date right now until I have my shit together. I can't date right now until I know who I am. Truth be told, we don't ever really know. Well, we probably don't know who we are fully because we're constantly becoming who it is that we are. So if that's the case, then nobody's ready to date, right? Totally. And that's one of my biggest pop psych pet peeves is that idea that you have to love yourself first. Like it's a destination. Like we then go, okay, done that. Now I can date. Like you're, <laughs> like you're saying, both of them happen in relationship to each other. Like we learn how to better love ourselves by being loved by other people, and we can love others on a deeper level. The deeper we can love ourselves, and they just kind of they go hand in hand. Yeah, it's just like with trees and plants and the deeper the roots the taller they have to sprout and for tall buildings they need to be deeply underground in order to uh go as high as they are as high as they are yeah and you might need to spend a little bit more time in one area often it's the area that we're less likely to cultivate so if you're less likely to really work on yourself spend time with yourself and get to know yourself be kind to yourself than you are with others. If you're more likely to show others kindness and care and respect, it's it's like you might need to spend some more time with yourself, do some more therapy, really, really work on that piece, but it can go the other way too. But yeah, they're not like these silos that we can cut off. Just like sex, sex isn't this silo that doesn't impact other areas of our life and that other areas of our life don't impact everything. Yeah, it's not black or white. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think that we've brought everything full circle. This is a really good transition period because I think a lot of us do enjoy sex with our exes. So can we talk about navigating that in a healthy way? Uh, In the book, I remember uh, something along the lines of like everyone knowing what the expectations are or having discussed boundaries or something like that. Can you speak more to that if I'm someone who wants to maintain a relationship with my ex to some extent, whatever that may be, but we're speaking here specifically for sex because that is the sex is so good, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think it just has to be good communication and understanding where both people are coming from because I think it's murky because we often shy away from the communication and often it works really well for one person who's already emotionally detached from the relationship and doesn't expect that it's going to go back to the way that it was and is perfectly okay with putting sex in a box over here and feelings and relationship history in a different place. Um, And I think it's easy for one person to just kind of hold on to hope and really enjoy the connection, but still it's, it's hurting them because they are wanting to get back together. So I think as long as you can both be really clear that like what you're saying is the truth, that you just want it to be sex, you don't want it to turn into anything more, and you're both talking about that and that works for you both, I think that it's totally fine. And it depends on your future relationship structures too. Like if you're if you're non-monogamous and having that be okay with your current partners, because that also might be a boundary for somebody. But um, yeah, it's just, I think it really does come down to the communication and 
just being aware that just because it works really well for you doesn't mean that it like don't make assumptions that it really works for the other person mm-hmm. um and what comes to mind for me is why knowing the intention is it because of convenience? Is it because they're there? Is it because it's familiar? Because it's easy? Do you feel like there's a possibility of getting back together? Uh, are you doing this because you care about what other people think? Or what? There are so many different reasons, I think, that we go back to exes. Um, or, you know, if we were hurt or if we know that we're just incompatible, I think that's the biggest thing. If it's we're incompatible, I recognize this, but dot, 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 I want to have sex. Um, I enjoy dressing up and going to Comic-Con with this person because we have a blast doing so. I think, too, though, this is kind of a slippery slope because what happens uh-huh. when that thing begins to be prioritized to the point where it overshadows all of the red flags, all of the bad. So if sex is so prioritized, it's like, oh, well, yeah, they cheat on me, but the sex is so good. Or they're abusive, but the sex. Or we voted for different people, but the sex. (laughs) I want kids, they don't. But the sex. At what point do we draw the line here and begin to see that we have to detach ourselves from this thing that we've placed so much priority on in order to do what's best for us and maintain a healthy relationship to ourselves without compromising without compromising our healthy relationship to ourselves for this unhealthy relationship with someone else. Yeah, it's like being really honest with yourself about exactly what you're saying. Your why, why are you doing this? And Yes, it might feel amazing when you're doing it, but how do you feel right before? Or how do you feel right after also? Mm. And it's being present. It's a matter of creating those moments of stillness once more. Because I think, too, a lot of other people and external forces can be in our heads making us believe that we need to be in a certain place by now. Like there could be the pressure to be in a relationship and get married. And if you have 10 years of history with someone, what better person than someone familiar over meeting someone out or uh, going through the dating process all over again? It's people are drained. People are tired. There's a pandemic. There's a lot of uncertainty in the air. I say there's a pandemic like it hasn't ended. You know what I mean? I use air quotes when I say that. But yeah, with just all of the uncertainty that's in the air, um, I think that it's really important that we emphasize a solid connection with ourselves, one that allows for us to more readily and availably um, understand what we're thinking, what we're feeling. We got to look at what's ours versus what's other people's, and then we can be more intentional about moving forward so that we're not prioritizing uh, the other person's needs that X, right, or whoever it is, over what it is that we need as an individual. Because even in relationships, we begin to prioritize the relationship over our individuality. And that's kind of where we get into these areas of uh, needing to reconnect to our support system, or we uh, have this grieving process of who we were in that relationship because that identity has grown so much more expansive than our individual identities. Yeah, 100%. All right. Erin, is there anything else that you want to leave us with before I let you go? Mm, I feel like we covered a whole bunch of it. The only thing I will add 
the book is, I was, how do I say this? So I wish it wasn't gendered and I kind of addressed that in the, the preface, but basically it was something that the publishers kind of made me do basically. And I really pushed back against it and, but it really is written for, for all genders apart from, I, I had to use examples in the stories in each chapter for women, but I'm so glad that we're having this conversation so we can talk about how it's, it isn't just for, for women and that breakups are an experience that is hard for everybody regardless of, of gender and yeah. Yeah. And, um, I really, really, really appreciate the way that it was written. Like, yeah, it's from women's experiences or whatever, but still I get that. I don't think guys look for <laughs> any ways of getting through a breakup or because we tell each other the quickest way to get over someone is to get on top of someone new, right? And <laughs> not go through the process of feeling your feelings and uh, being able to put language to it, process, heal, get support. The things that were written in Breakthrough to Breakup. And I recognize that I've called it how to break through the breakup like four times in this podcast. I'm sorry. Because that was what it was for me. It was like, this is how I break through the breakup. This is how. And that's what I've been saying. And I've just been like, oh, this is how to break through the breakup. So uh, I want to apologize for that. <laughs> but I do acknowledge that that was a thing that I did. And I was so into it. Um, I got so much out of this. Uh, as you can hear from this podcast, uh, if I could transcribe it and make it a review, I totally would. But this is completely my review. This is my way of giving back um, by just sharing this. And uh, I hope that people at least consider looking it up. You know, you can just uh, read the reviews, read the back of it, listen to this podcast again and decide if it's something that's for you, uh, regardless of gender, regardless of where you are in your relationship status. This was useful. It's something that if I were in a relationship, the title probably would be like, I'm not going to go through a breakup. But <laughs> as someone uh, who now has done that and I view relationships in the way that I do, I want to make sure that the relationships that I have moving forward are high quality ones that can be maintained for the long haul and I'm into them uh, for longevity, not necessarily to just be hopping on to the next thing. I want depth in my quality connections that I have and Breakthrough to Breakup was one way that, or one tool that demonstrated to me that this is something I value and how to go about uh, doing that. So, Aaron Davidson, thank you so, so, so much for your time. Thank you for what you put into this book. Um, yeah, we'll link to it in the show notes for how people can find it. But you can tell me here so that when I'm typing it up, I'm listening to this and I can type that too. <laughs> for where you can find it? Yes. Yeah, so you can just find me on Instagram. Um, so I'm at Aaron, E-R-I-N dot E dot Davidson. And you can find me on my website too, which is the same. So it's erinedavidson.com. And I'm a therapist here in Vancouver, British Columbia. All right. Thank you, Erin. Thank you, Courtney. All right, that concludes this episode of Something Positive from Positive People, season two of Something Positive for Positive People. This is where we go into those conversations that if you remove the herpes 
or the STI status of uh, the season one conversations that we had, you're left with so much more, how to navigate relationships, how to find support, how to do relationships, how to, I said that twice, navigate and do. Uh, (laughs) Clearly, I don't have like the outline written yet, but once it's done, it's going to be fire. I'm creating right now the outline for uh, the redirect of something positive for positive people, the nonprofit organization that is paying for people to get therapy. It's as simple as that. We use yoga to raise money and we pay for people's therapy who reach out to us and are seeking a therapist. By now, that should be back live. I had to pause it at the time of this recording because we weren't getting no money and I had to figure out a way to get some money. (laughs) Um, So the redirect is going to be supportive in that. Um, I think that with this change, people are going to get a lot of value from the podcast and uh, I'm excited for it. I'm grateful to have you here. Please like, rate, review, share and subscribe to this podcast. Thank you so much for being here and all of your support. You can still donate too by visiting spfpp.org.